previously on The Outsider. Claude Bolton, where is he now? He said he wanted to go hang with his brother in Tennessee, a town called Cecil. Miss uh, El Coco, what does it want? It wants to survive at all costs. We have an APB for John Jack Hoskins. Suspect is considered armed and dangerous. How have you been feeling lately? Like someone's been trying to get inside your head. In my head? In the mirror looking right back at me. This Coco is turning into Claude as we speak, so hopefully it'll expose itself to the world. Yeah, my He's here. It's here. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Talking the Outsider. I am one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I am so happy to be here with you tonight. Uh, This is going to be a great episode. I'm very excited to be here with you, and I am joined by my wonderful, super talented co-host, the only only Jen. Hey, <clears throat> so uh, I always feel like I should say all the way live from Hawaii. So all the way live from Hawaii. <laughs> it's Jen. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I couldn't agree with you more. This episode uh, blew my mind. Now, I'm going to say this before we continue on. This is the penultimate episode episode nine of the outsider this is like one of the first shows that we've done well i don't want to say the first show but one of the shows in recent times that we've covered where i'm gonna totally miss this show like i'm when it's over i'm gonna miss it Mm. like i love talking about it i love watching it it really i really enjoyed this ride of this program so this is going to be uh bittersweet next week's finale. Yeah. Now for those who may, this may be the first time they're listening to our podcast. Uh, me and Jen, we've both read the book uh, written by Stephen King. We did a book review. That was the first podcast that we did. We talked about the whole book. Uh, we had a spoiler section. We gave an over overall opinion of the book and then we had a spoiler section where we went into great detail about how the book ends and how it wraps up we purposely during the course of this show we don't talk too much about spoilers or we have like a section so you can listen to this program and it won't really ruin it unless you get to our spoiler part right? Uh, right so so uh at the end of this episode, I want to do another spoiler part as it relates to the book, because I feel like that's very important uh, for those who've read the book, who understand where, you know, where we're going with this as well. So with that being that being said, uh, I want to first start off by. OK, so we're both fans of, of the novel, right? Absolutely. And when this episode began, it was, you know, it was evident that it was a flashback, right? 
<clears throat> if you hadn't read the book, I don't think you would wait, 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 actually wait, 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 understand. Wait, wait. It was evident because the way that they were dressed and it didn't seem like oh. it was really... You know, nobody with me knew that it was flashback. Not one person. Well, I knew it was a flashback, right? I'll be honest with you. At first, I didn't relate it to the novel. And then it hit me like a ton. And it was so funny because I was watching with someone who didn't read the book. And I was like, this is from the book. This is from the book. This is the story that that Clyde Bolton's mom told in the novel. Uh, Like when I finally, when I um, picked up on what was going on, I was like, I was all excited. I was like a kid. Uh, I was like, yo, because, you know, because, okay, so. Uh, this is not spoiled. I don't think this is going to be spoiler territory uh, because, you know, this is from what from the episode. So in the novel, we, we've said this before, that Claude Bolton's brother is not a character in the novel. It's they basically substitute his mother, uh, um, his mother for the brother. Right. So in a lot of ways the things that the mother did, the brother does, but not quite in the same way, but very similar, right? Yeah. Not as annoying either. Not as annoying, right. <laughs> so in this episode, we had, you know, the way that they, they bridge the story of the cave-in. And let, let's first start off with the cave-in, and then we'll get into all of the other stuff, because I think this is a good point uh, to to start off and then we'll get into present day and then we'll talk about how it affects present day. But so the way that the cave in is told in the story is the mother basically tells the whole story. Right. Of, of the cave in the way that they do it in the the TV show is brilliant. It starts off with this flashback and it's intercut through the episode and then it meets together. And then the brother tells the, the the big part, you know, and they show through flashback as well. That is, right. I mean, obviously you can't do that in a book, really. So, but you can take advantage of that in a television show. So, because like, I'll be honest with you, the part of the cave-in in the novel just drones on for a long time. And I think it's cool, but it loses some of its impact because because of that. Whereas the way well, that they do it in this on the TV show is way better. Go ahead. He, he's very thorough. Stephen King is very thorough about explaining to us what happened in the cave-in. And, and I think in some ways it is to sort of uh, prepare us for the fact that, um, that, that this was sort of a, a perfect storm, a perfect way to uh, to leave things, it, it, how can I say this? Well, like it was just sort of this is Stephen King's kind of almost signature way of making helping to helping us to understand that the things that were happening happened both because the the characters made them happen, but also because the environment played a huge role in it. I mean, like, I've seen this happen in a ton of Stephen King stories, going all the way back to Salem's Lot, where the physical location means a lot, and Stephen King takes great pains to explain them. I get it, and I understand it. 
it's still, you know. It does drone. It drones on. The way that they're able to do it because of a TV show and the way that they did it was brilliant. Yeah, I think so too. And I thought, uh, I thought, like, you know, as someone, you know, who read the book, when, I don't know, at what point did you realize it was that storyline? Well, uh, so, okay, so the moment that, um, and I hate to say that it was this far in, but the moment that the, uh, that the dad went to the souvenir shop mm-hmm. to ask uh, if, if she had seen them, that's when I realized what was going on. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, it, it was, that was really cool how they, how they did it. It was brilliant. I mean, it was, it really was brilliant. And also, it was very good in explaining why El Cuco chooses that as his hiding place. Right. You know, I mean, they they really established it earlier with the great, you know, the barn near the graveyard and whatnot. But all of that coming together is so good because it makes perfect sense why he's where he's at. If you put everything together from what you've already seen, plus with this. And it's really brilliant. It, it, it's very brilliant how how it all plays out. So uh, I thought, you know, that was a really good scene. And I I love the brother. The brother is really good. It, the the thing that the thing that I think that these scenes did is it it begins to um, stitch together the tapestry that we've been weaving all along, but maybe haven't seen the bigger picture of. And and with these with the vignettes that we saw in this episode, we're able to start completing that picture, which is, which again is actually really good. I mean, I'm really glad that they took their time and waited to tell that whole part of the story because it is really important. Very important to the, to, and it sets up the finale uh, really well too. So kudos, kudos once again. Um, So, okay, let's go to, the present day and you know where we left off they showed the videotape of fake Claude Bolton trying to adopt the kid so we were still there and um, I thought that it was really good to see uh, Detective Anderson really you know coming to an understanding of, you know, we always talk about belief, how important mm-hmm. belief is, and how he straightens up, you know, he straightens up a Howie about the whole, you know, you gotta, if you're gonna be here, you gotta believe and, and whatnot. Right. Exactly what, uh, exactly what he was told on the way down. Yeah, I, I thought that was so cool. And, um... Because Holly wasn't having any of that either. There's a scene where Detective Anderson's talking to his wife. And he tells, oh, it's here. He says, as a matter of fact, it's here. And she's yeah. like, she's like, what? She almost runs over somebody, remember? Yep. And, yep. That uh, was epic. That was actually really epic. And uh, I forgot. I was watching a YouTube review of this episode. And someone said something interesting. And so I want to make sure, like, uh, I want to give credit where it's due. Um, I'm not stealing this person's uh, <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> But he said something about the fact that that um, Detective Anderson was smoking in the scene, and almost as oh if, right, yeah, almost as if 
he didn't expect to come back. So it's like, well, I'm not going to die via, you know, uh, lung cancer. So what what the hell, right? And- well, right. And, and they actually established this early on with, uh, with his wife asking him, are you smoking again? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, of course, she doesn't want him to confront uh, El Cuco at all. But he has to do what he has to do. You know, right. and he and he, he kind of lies a little bit. Uh, uh, we're just going to contain it. Or, it, I mean, I don't think he ever thought that that was what really was going to go down. What do you think? No, I don't either. Yeah. I, I don't think he expected that. That I don't, Well, maybe I, I think it's I think it's a little bit difficult to judge because it is very hard for me to imagine that he understood in his capacity that he understands what El Cuco is, what a confrontation would even look like. Right. You know? Right. So, but I think he had a un, more of an understanding that it was going to be more than, than, um, than that, but he was trying to make her feel comfortable. Right. So let's get to the, uh, interrogation. I thought it was a great scene with the grandfather and the grandson. Oh yeah. And I love that scene where, he explains, he's like, you know, uh, Savlo asks him, is there anything else now that you had time to sit with it? And he said, you know, his eyes look sunken in, but I thought it was just because he was wearing that mask. But when the when the uh, fox head mask came off, uh, it still looked like he was wearing a mask. I thought that was pretty right. cool. I thought that was a good, a good uh, scene because it, you know, it spoke to, to what, you know, um, who he is and what what it is going on and he does wear a mask of the people that he is embodying so i thought that was good it, it it's funny how the characters um the characters that were at the um at the festival at the rock festival or the cave festival it's funny how when they recount what they saw you know that the, and again we go with this idea of what is belief that that they that they specifically all experience something that makes sense to them as opposed to saying it was clearly something, you know, well outside the scope of what I know. And no, they just explained it so that it made sense to them. I I actually thought that that was actually really good. I liked it a lot. Mm. Um, do you like fried chicken? I love fried chicken. You know why I'm bringing this up. Oh, absolutely. You know, 200 miles is... Look, I love fried chicken. But 200 miles is a long place, a long, you know, uh, ride to go for some fried chicken. But I have to admit, the fried chicken in this uh, in this episode did look pretty good. So, it definitely uh, looked good. So I can understand, at least the, uh, it looked great on camera. So... Um, uh-oh. It looked great on camera. So, um <laughs> there it is right there. Their, so, their reaction to it was actually also really kind of awesome. Yeah. So, and and this is uh similar to something that happens in the book too where he sent away so that they can kind of formulate their plan. And right. uh I I don't believe I don't remember if it was fried chicken, but it was some kind of food place, right? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a place. Right. So, and I really, you know, I've talked about it. I love the Howard Solomon character 
um, played by Bill Kemp. And uh, I love the the dialogue that um, that he and uh, and Bolton had. Uh, I, w- I want to say Ramsey Bolton. <laughs> uh, and that's another HBO show. Um, but um, I love when he he's like, "You don't remember me," and he's like, uh, "You know what are you talking about?" And he's like, "From court." He said, I, I, uh, you know, I represented you. And he's like, yeah. He said, yeah, I was in the bar fight. And then he goes, did you win? And he said, in court? He's like, no, the bar fight. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, if I won the bar, if I lost the bar fight, I wouldn't have needed you in court. <laughs> you know, I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty funny scene. And that's so, that's so him too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I thought that was really cool. And, uh, but then, you know, I love when he says that me not remember you is pretty good because you must not have been that bad of a person that, you know. Right. Right. So, um, but you know, I, I really believe though, that scene, obviously besides just getting him away from the group, uh, it really humanizes Bolton to a, a, a more, extent you know and like it really kind of speaks to like yeah he's had problems in his life he's you know it's because he's always being referenced as an ex-con and a a former drug addict must can't and all of that stuff but one thing i love by that scene what it really that scene really does is say that yeah he's been in trouble he's but he's really saying that you're you know he weren't that bad of a guy you know like he deserves to like okay terry maitland for example, was a great guy, obviously didn't deserve what happened to him, right? Right. And you can make an argument that Claude Bolton uh, has lived on the rough side of the mountain. Maybe, you know, this is what Terry Maitland probably deserved this intervention more than Claude, right? Right. But one thing I love about this is that he's not a perfect person. He's not a person like Terry Maitland, who, you know, it's like, but then they're working so hard to make sure that he doesn't get the injustice. And I feel like this scene is really good because it really speaks to, you know, yeah, he's had problems. He's been in trouble, but he really wasn't. He was never really that bad of a person. Well, the way that I look at this, uh, I think from all of them is, excuse me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. Um, They failed Terry Maitland. They failed him on every fundamental level that basically there was and this is their chance at redemption so uh, you whether and i'm not saying that it you know if claude bolton was a terrible person that maybe they wouldn't be going all out i i don't know but yes he is you know a good person who's made some mistakes and done some things that maybe he shouldn't have but definitely doesn't deserve this but more than that i think it's our team that really feel like this is justice for Terry because for them, the, the, everything that went wrong that they couldn't figure out, they now have open access to. So there's no excuse to allow it to happen again. Right. Yeah. And you know, they're, it, it's kind of like it's their redemption. Right. Cause you know, on his side, on, on the prosecution side, you know, they all want to atone for what happened. Um, 
so I want to kind of I want to get back to the group, uh, the Scooby Doo gang, over here, as mm-hmm. they figure out how they're going to to uh, actually at this point they're looking for the um, the whereabouts of where possible El Cuco could be at, and then this right. is when you know we have the rest of the story filled in by by uh, Claude Bolton's brother. Um, so. Uh, um, I really feel like that uh, this group, you know, we talked about it because you know we're that's a lot of people that came out to try to make this thing it go, is. and I really feel like you know the, this team coming together, trying to make a a, a right out of a wrong. Uh, I really feel like that this is kind of the crux of what this story is all about. You know, it's about, like you said, belief. It's about, um, there's evil in this world and that the, the thing that can overcome it is people who believe in not only the fact that it's existence, but in each other, you know? And I really think that I love how this kind of, at the end of the story, how everybody comes together like that. Cause you know, through the whole story, they're kind of off on their own and stuff. And, uh, right. so, I, you know, I, I really feel like this is what makes this very strong. And to be honest with you, I was concerned early on about how the last part of this series was going to go. And I'm so glad that, uh, that it, it's living up to the, the weight of what they started. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'll just add something, um, I think, sort of small in here, but something that overall I've noticed that continues to be a really strong suit. Um, this episode, like other episodes, is it's all about finding um, it's about finding the smaller moments in a bigger narrative. And so, you know, you you set out to tell a story like this and it's a pretty big story and it's, it is very compelling, but it is so much less about world building and the supernatural as it sort of just is. We have to believe. That's basically what we are told to do. We have to believe. Now, we as the readers or as the watchers in the series as it goes, we know that there's something else going on. But from a character perspective, we as the watchers of all of this are really learning about everything that we need to learn about in these really small almost bite-sized pieces. And what that does in terms of the overall story is it gives it this very protracted uh, sense of, wow, it's taking a long time to get to here. And, you know, one of my friends who I suggested watch the show was so frustrated by the third episode that they were like, I don't know how you watch this. I mean, I... I, I I want things to happen and it doesn't feel like they're happening and I don't understand why they're not happening. But to me, that's sort of the brilliance of, of this narrative. It is so protracted, so um, long in its game that 
it feels sticky. It feels like a really long period of uh, almost um, uh, discovery. Now, the the reason that I think that this is important is because this episode in particular was all about farming out piecemeal these little tiny events that don't seem to necessarily hook up with each other, but they are all incredibly important to our overall understanding of both how the supernatural world is working right now, how the characters are responding to it. The fact that Claude's brother was willing to tell him, give him the quote unquote heads up of a lifetime is a big piece because he just told the outsider, El Cuco, what was going on. He just, he sprang it all out there. That is sort of like, that's necessary. We need to understand that. But what happens in the, in the series that is so excellent is it takes forever to get there. It takes forever for us to understand that this is what is really happening. And it's not just that the characters say it's happening we see it happening, right? The, like, there's something so incredibly strong about telling a story that is chopped up into so many small pieces where the characters have to come together with their own understandings of things in order for us to make sense of what's happening supernaturally. Yeah. I, I honestly believe that this is, uh, I mean, I, I hope it gets Emmy consideration. It definitely deserves it. Oh, it, yes, this is so worthy. Definitely. Also, also, just I mean, as a side note, look, you know, normally I am not one for discordant music, right? Because it is, as much as I like it at certain points, The Walking Dead does it every now and then too. There is there is a place for discord uh, in terms of music or discordant uh, music overall, but The Outsider makes this work on a level that is just oh my gosh, it it's like we have this soundtrack underneath everything that is so dread. There's so, um, and maybe dread is too strong of a word. There's so much um, angst underneath it that it's always sort of feeling like, oh, there's something happening or because it's not shock value. The soundtrack is never, you know, super jump scary or anything like that. It's always just this resonant discord underneath the surface and that's very much what's happening here you know under the surface is this dysfunction that you can you know it's at work but it's hard to identify so yeah that's another just i just absolutely love the sound work in this oh yes beautiful and the the little sounds you know that kind of stuff Uh yeah it's all it's really good um so let me see if I can, if I still got it. Yep, I still got it queued up. Um, okay. Let's talk about this guy real quick. Ralph Anderson. Okay. Um, Ralph is not your typical hero in these kind of stories. Uh, at times he has those hero moments, right? When he roughs people up and, and whatnot. Um, but he's definitely a very different kind of uh, main protagonist in this story and 
talking about a a arc, right, of a character. He's definitely taking an arc, <laughs> you know. Oh, yes, absolutely. And there's times where you feel like you kind of know the character, and there's other times where you feel like you're still learning who this character is. But uh, I remember very early on, one of our listeners said, I think this is like maybe episode three. She was in the chat room and she said, I hate Ryan Anderson's character. Oh, wow. And, um, which I thought, and I, I think a lot of times it's because like these characters, you know, it's like we see that there's something supernatural going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And our, then we kind of go well, like Scully in the X-Files. It's like, Right, really? Right. Like you don't realize you you know you're not going to just get you know give in to the fact that there's uh, extraterrestrials or whatnot, and you know that's not really how the world works, right? You got to give Ryan uh, character credit because yes, there's a lot of information that can say that it's possible, it's a possibility that this is going on, but really, there's nothing that's really happened. That's a hundred percent where you can where he has to take this leap, you know what I mean? Right. I, I mean, there's some things that you know you can still kind of go. Well, maybe it's this or that. So, you know, uh, my question to you is: What do you feel about his character? Uh, you know, is he a character that you enjoy? Do you like his arc? Do you like uh, Ben Mendelsohn's uh, performance as him? Uh, to be honest with you. I wouldn't have seen him from reading the book as Ben Mendelsohn, but I'll get into what I feel about him actually playing him. Okay. Uh, So from the very beginning, I actually, although you're right, I didn't imagine that this is the character that would end up or the actor that would end up being Ralph. But I am going to say that from the moment that I heard Ralph speaking, it absolutely was Ralph in my head. A hundred percent. And, uh, and there are subtle nuances that the character picks up, which I don't know if they were director led or whether he read the book, but it definitely felt very much like that was a Ralph thing to do. And there were little things They were not, you know, nothing screaming or anything like that. Just really small things that feels, that feels like really good character work in terms of his arc. The, this is one of the most interesting arcs I think that happens in the book. And I mean, for obvious reasons, other than what we get to see with uh, maybe, um, maybe, well, no, actually I'm going to say that it is actually Um, because Holly's arc is, is fairly static. Um, I mean, it starts out at one point, but it seems to end on the same point almost. Um, And Ralph is the one who undergoes the most, unbelievable transformation from a no this isn't happening to a absolutely how can I get rid of it Uh, and the leap in between there is so metamorphic that it really takes a special person to convince us that you are absolutely the person who just wants to do you know cop stuff (laughs) to oh this is real and we need to embrace the fact that there is something supernatural happening here so that it doesn't happen to anybody else. I was wrong. You know, despite the fact that all the evidence 
that I have leads me in a different direction. I am taking this leap of faith and what a leap of faith it really is for him. You know, and I'm, you know, I know all the things that come together to push him in that direction, but ultimately I think the over the edge top for Ralph is, is the fact that there is nothing left. The, the, the chest is empty. There is nothing in his cop toolbox that will give him any more. He just has reached the bottom. And where do you go from the bottom? That's oftentimes when people say that they find God. It's also the time when people find that, you know, they, they get to the point where their faith has been restored because they are at the bottom. There's no place to go but climb up. I mean, like there's a metaphor going on here, which really feels very true and really poignant i 100% agree with you um you know like i said i i i um i i enjoy his character i don't think he sucks and i think ben oh, mendelson ben mendelson is doing a great job and uh kudos and you know what's funny is cuz i started uh watching the show as i was reading the book and as I was reading the book, he morphs into Ben Mendelsohn in my head. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So, so uh, like I, I totally saw. You know, I started seeing it that way. So that was pretty cool. So, all right, let's get to the end of the episode. And if you are a fan of the book, uh, you definitely this is something that is. Um, very similar, but you know, slightly different. Um, you know, we have, you know, we have. Uh, let me kind of go back a little bit. My bad. Uh, I, I thought it was great how they actually got everybody to the cave, right? <laughs> because clearly, not everybody was going to the cave to start. So, getting everybody to the cave was actually really brilliant. Um, I have to say, Jack Hoskins, uh, this guy is killing it. Um, his name he is, is Mark uh, Menchaca. Is that how you say his name? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Mark Menchaca. I've never, I don't remember seeing this actor before, but he is so good as this character. Yeah. He's very good. And you, he's so tortured. And so you know he's sitting there waiting for them uh he is an expert marksman he's a sniper he's a sniper he's uh in i know in the in the book he's referred to as uh he likes the the character from american sniper yeah so there's a a point to it and they do a good job of letting you know early on till now that so that when this part happens you understand that he has you know he has this embodiment of you know this is something that's not out of out of uh touch you know with what what's going to happen so and um there's wait I love this shot by the way I'm about to pull it up on the screen if you're listening to it on audio uh and they do this a lot of overheads oh, yeah. great shot by the way uh if you're watching the video um but um you know, so he's waiting for everybody to get there, and then he starts to get ready, and uh, he has everybody in the scope, and 
And okay, so first, wait, wait, wait let's hold set hold this. On, hold on, hold on, one second. I want to show this real quick. Okay, he got everybody. He's getting people there. Okay, go ahead. I just wanted to say, as we set this exact scene up, first of all, we see the snake coming up. But secondly, if you listen to the soundtrack, that's what you hear. You hear the rattle of the snake. I was going to save that for the the the, the uh, spoiler part, but okay. Oh, oh well, I, I'm just saying that that obviously there's something to that. But the soundtrack, the way that they have the, I'm sorry, not well, maybe not the soundtrack, but the sound underneath it is it, it is. It, again, you know, there is nothing, I swear, there is nothing scarier. I don't know if, if everybody knows what rattlesnakes do, but they are, they're frightening. So when you hear one, if you know what they are, you, it's scary. It's very scary. That to me added just another layer of, you know, why this whole, that whole sequence was so frightening. Yeah. And um, poor Alec Paley. Poor Alec Pelly, he gets it right in the head. Oh man, that was sad. Yeah, and remember, he didn't want to be there. He felt the, the, the copper in his mouth. Yeah. And uh, you know, but he he went there, and he probably should have went with his uh, early mind, and uh, he got it. So uh, that's unfortunate. Okay, so this is what I want to do. Um, I want to have. Uh, we're going to do our spoiler section. And when we say our spoiler section, um, we don't know what's going to happen on a TV show. We only know, we've read the book. So we're going to talk about how it relates to what's in the book. And uh, we're only going to focus on what we've seen so far in this episode and a little bit about what's coming up forward. So if you don't want to hear this at all, uh, you know, this is probably a good place for you to end at. Um, so you've been warned. Okay, so spoiler part. Okay, you mentioned the snake. I love how they introduce the snake in here versus the book because it just seemed like the snake just came out of nowhere. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and just yeah. I, I know I know that it's different because it's a novel, so it's a little harder to establish that. But the way that they showed it visually, and you know, because we're gonna just you know in the novel. He's repeatedly bitten by a rattlesnake. Right. And um, and it's a big part of what goes on going forward. And when I saw the the when I saw the snake in the preview, I was like, oh, okay, they're going to do that in the on the TV show. Right. And I like the way that they kind of just showed the snake, you know, so that. Well, the uh, way that they show it in the in the episode it almost doesn't, you almost can't tell where the snake might be. Is the snake by Ralph? Is the snake by Claude? Uh, is the snake by, I'm uh, sorry, uh, Jack? Is the, where is the snake? We don't know. It's, it's disembodied. Right. Um, do you think the snake is something otherworldly or just a snake? That's a good question. Um, I, Partly, I think that what makes El Cuco successful is capitalizing on existing structures that cause pain. And so it lends me to believe that the snake is just a snake. I think so, too. Yeah, I believe that as well. Um, in in the novel, El Cuco is constantly talking to Jack Hoskins, which they're not doing in this, where right. he's like, he's like, I'll take the cancer away. And the snake bites, you know, like, you know, yeah. so, so, uh, 
you don't really have that in, in here. Uh, one thing I love that they said up too, uh, this is another spoiler alert is in this scene right here. Um, in this scene right here, um, Holly says, you know, that gun that you have, uh, won't help you in the cave, you know, and she's basically talking about, you know, that if you shoot the gun off that possibly it would be a cave in. Right. And then he says, Oh, us cowboys make this feel better. So what they're doing is setting up that. Cause that's the thing in the, in the uh, final part of the confrontation that, uh, any, the, you know, a sound too loud or a gunshot or whatnot could possibly make the cave come in. That was pretty cool too. Yeah. That's, and, and that's actually really integral to what happens after. So that is really important. So, okay. In the novel, both Alec Pelly and, uh, Howie is murdered by Jack Hoskins and Sablo is injured. Uh, do you think that we're going to get more carnage? Because, oh. yeah, yeah I, I think the whole point, <clears throat> and I, I actually expressed to somebody else how powerful this was in the moment. Um, the gunshots in the dark, where we have zero understanding of what's happening. We have no visual cues about what might be going on. And all we hear are gunshots. And there's six of them. And they take forever to go. I mean, like, it, it to me, it felt like time stood still when that was happening. And it, I mean, it was powerful, absolutely powerful. So, yes, I think there's, I think we have not seen the last death just from Jack and his gun. Um, but I also think that it, uh, they may change stuff up from the way that it was in the book. I don't know. There's little cues that make me think that maybe they will. Yeah, hopefully Andy gets it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not a big Andy fan, but uh, as we can see from the the uh, next on, that uh, Claude, the Bolton brothers get there and Howie. So, um, so stay tuned to see w- what happens there. So, is there yeah, is, there, is there any last things you want to talk about before we? Uh... Uh, the, the only thing that I, I I feel like maybe we didn't touch on at all is is sort of how Holly is reacting to all of this. Because in this episode, it really feels like Holly has sort of uh, resigned herself almost to maybe being a scapegoat. I don't know. Something felt really different about her character this episode. Mm, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like she thinks that maybe she is going to end up uh, kind of being like sacrificial or I don't know, something, something just felt really uh, different about the way that she was approaching this in different, like, like clearly her affect was different. I, I'm not saying that her choices made me think that I'm saying like, this was a clear choice by the actor to do something a little bit different and I could really feel it. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I didn't even think about that. I might have to go back and I actually, I've seen this episode twice, so 
Oh, nice. But I, yeah, you know that's not a normal it's thing I do. Such, uh, it is such a good episode. I mean, it really just carries the. Uh, to me, this episode is what I was hoping for um, all along. I was really hoping that this is what we would get, and it didn't disappoint at all. Not at all. So I have high expectations for next week. Me too. Also, just as a quick FYI, although I don't know what this means because who knows, it's HBO. Um, they said season finale to The Outsider, not series finale. So I caught that. Hmm. Yeah, maybe there's something interesting to that. I don't know. I caught that. It said season finale. Uh-huh. So, uh... Stay tuned. There could be something interesting happening there. I, I see. We're on the same page there. I, I caught that, and I was like, "Hmm." I, I feel like it's okay to cross your fingers. <laughs> see I, I, what? Actually, let, me, let me look it up while while we're on here. The Outsider season two. Let's see if they have anything. Uh, well, they. I don't, oh, they wouldn't check this out. I didn't realize this. See, I should be checking it out. It says. HBO's oh really uh, Forbes it says HBO's Outsider will probably get a season 2 Ooh. even though even if it finishes out Stephen King's book Ooh. Uh, and then but that was written uh, a while ago and then on Joe Blow let me, here I'll pull it up for you guys to see who are, who are watching. It says season two already in the works. Wow. So maybe there's some creative writing minds uh, busy coming up with a pitch. His son, Joe Hill, praises HBO and Stephen King's The Outsider. Nice. Uh, and I got, you know, I got to say, for anybody who thinks that they are not successful, um, uh, look at Stephen King and Joe Hill and realize that these two men are... They're older. And I'm not saying Stephen King hasn't had a storied career. Obviously, he's had a very long and storied career. But, you know, he it's almost a joke of Hollywood that everything Stephen King, every Stephen King movie is terrible. It, it's horrible. It's, you know, oh, it's going to be a funny Stephen King adaptation. Oh, my God, everybody's going to lie, you know, whatever. And over the past couple of years, both of these guys, I mean, Haunting of Hill, uh, not Haunting of Hill House, I'm sorry, Lock and Key, um, uh, Nosferatu, those are all Joe Hill. And then Stephen King's adaptations now that have come to the screen, they've all been amazing. So, you know, if you ever lose hope and you feel like, oh my God, everything is always failing and blah, 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 whatever, you know, uh, there is hope out there. This stuff is just unbelievable. And I don't feel like it was just, you know, on the face, that's what was going to happen. Something really big shifted and wow we have some excellent quality stuff coming out oh wait okay here's something else let me see uh and i 100 percent agree with you oh. uh okay it looks like i'm not gonna be able to show you guys that but um no pretty cool so they're saying the outsiders uh season two yeah, so they, they believe there will be a season two. Man, I'm there. I'm there. Uh, it'll be different because there's no book. Um, 
part. Right. And clearly the characters are going to have to change. Right. So, yeah. but, but it says though, the same, the same crew is going to come up with the season two of it. So, you know, will it be, so that makes you wonder, maybe they're going to really change the end to where, you know, it opens well, the door. In the, you know, since we're in the spoiler territory, uh-huh. we don't know if El Cuco dies at the end of the book anyway. We don't know. It's left very open and very nebulous. So it's very possible that El Cuco did not die. And he might live through dun dun dun. Yeah. You just don't know. So. So, yeah. So we will, we shall see. Okay, so let's go to you, Jen. How can people get you in social media and all that wonderful stuff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Following Bliss One, and you can find my websites at moviesmakethemeal.com and studiowhitewolf.com. All right, all right, all right. And um, you can get me at Kente F on Twitter. You can get me at Kente Ferguson, F-E-R-G-E-R-S-O-N, on Instagram. And, of course, the website is indyradio.org, I-N-D-Y-radio.org. And, of course, we will be back for um, the season one finale. And uh, if you're able, let's do that, like, right after it airs, if you're able to do that, Jen. So... Uh, oh, I think we lost you, Jen. But um, can you can you hear me? Oh, there you go. It, yeah, sorry, I had a power glitch. Oh, no problem. So if you're able to do it, let's try to do it um, right after episode end because I, I know I'm okay. gonna be excited and looking forward to talking about it. Let's do it. All right, you guys, you have a good one.